We are living in difficult times. We are constantly at battle. Today, we're going to talk about Our Lady on how she is going to help us, how she is always here to guide us, and how we have to give ourselves over to her. Join us. Hey everyone, we are here in a new year. Happy 2022. We're thankful for you joining us on this episode of The Catholic Gentleman. If this is your first time, please remember to click subscribe or click that bell button if you're watching on YouTube or if you're on a podcast player listening to us, we appreciate you clicking subscribe. If you've been inspired or blessed or moved by anything that The Catholic Gentleman has done, please write us a review either on Facebook or on, um, I guess, a podcast player put a comment in the comment sections. These all help the algorithms. They help us get this episode out to more men and to help more people. So we're grateful for your time. Also, if you're inspired in this new year, patreon.com slash Catholic gentlemen, we're always looking for donations. So whatever you can give uh, any dollar amount would be greatly appreciated. So today we want to jump in, start the new year by talking about our lady and talking about how she can help us men and how she can protect us and guide us and uh, support us in these difficult times uh, that we are in. So I'm going to pass it right over to you, Sam, and let's hear what your thoughts are and then we can start talking. Yeah. Well, the last two years have been difficult for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. There's been a lot of economic upheavals, there has been a lot of lost jobs. There's been health issues that people have experienced. And then, of course, there's um, the political issues that have been extremely divisive mm -hmm. um, and have kind of driven a wedge between a lot of family and friends yeah. that have been very close to one another. Otherwise, there's just been a whole bunch of issues, food shortages and things like that, that have really just led to a, a spirit of discouragement and oppression. I think that's probably the best Amen. way I would describe it in any way. It's like, even if you're healthy physically, or even if you um, haven't been ill in any way, like there's still just something in the air. There's just something that just feels oppressive about the times that we're going through right now. And I know a lot of people are struggling with anxiety and fear and just a lot of different issues. And I think there's also a cry in a lot of people's hearts. Like, what can we do? We feel so helpless. Yeah. We feel so um, beaten down by the times in which we live. And yet there feels like very little that we can do. And of course, um, we could talk all day long about the, the, the difficulties that a lot of people are going through. And again, these uh, political tensions and things like that, that are very real. But I also feel like as Catholics, we have to place the times that we're going through in a bigger context. Mm. And not only the context of history, but the context of a spiritual war that is ongoing and that has been ongoing for a very long time, yeah. for millennia, really. Um, and it's a real battle. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but it is a spiritual war that's happening right now. So while there are obviously temporal manifestations of that in different ways, there's also a very real 
spiritual battle going on right now that we're all caught up in. We're all caught up in this great drama of salvation history. And the battle's intensifying right now. Yeah. But uh, contrary to what a lot of us believe, this is not the first time there's been difficult times in human history. Yeah. Even the last century, the 20th century, was just filled with upheaval after upheaval. Um, so we can learn from those who've gone before us. And that's a little bit of what we want to talk about today is like how great saints, specifically one great saint, called us to respond to the difficult times in which we live. Yeah, I think that's really great. And it is. It's it's so easy. I like what you said. It's so easy to despair, right? When we start thinking about the political issues of transgenderism and pornography and abortion and these sort of things, we even actually within our church, right? Uh, I mean, we're not ignorant to this this liturgical war that um, touches Sam and I both very um, deeply as um, as you know individuals who love uh, the Latin Mass and love the liturgy, you know, really with all our heart, not enough. And, um, and so we see all these things. And so it is, it's so tempting to despair. It's so tempting to throw up your hands and say, what can I do? Right. What am I personally capable of doing? And I can't do anything. So I'm going to take a kind of a retreatist mentality, right? I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to, um, I'm going to uh, back away uh, from the fight or back away from the battle. And while, yes, we need to protect our family, and I'm not encouraging you to go take your kids to a you know transgender rally or something like that, um, it is important to realize that God's grace is here for us. God's grace is um, upon us and is with us. And we have to be aware of that. And then we have to be talking in our conversation to our lady on a regular basis, on a daily basis, frequently throughout the day to better understand where we're being called and what we need to be doing day in and day out to kind of protect ourselves from um, or to elevate ourselves to to the battle. Right. So it's important not to be um, uh, hindered or afraid, but. In fact, trusting in the victory of, of Christ and the victory of Our Lady's Immaculate Heart. And so I think it's a good opportunity to turn ourselves over to Our Lady. And I know that we actually have a few Protestant listeners. I've had, heard from quite a number of Protestants over the last year um, that have appreciated things here or there. And we have a lot of um, uh, uh, converts on the show that... Uh, kind of by God's grace. Uh, so a lot of the stuff that we might be talking about, hopefully it's inspiring to you. I'd encourage you to dig more into it. If something we say is kind of off-putting or um, confusing. Yes. I was once a Protestant myself with deep reservations about um, Blessed Mother. And uh, it, it was actually digging into that and studying that more that made me a great Marian uh, devotee, if you will. But uh, let, let's get real. Let's get real uh, specific about what we're talking about today. Yeah, we're engaged in this great spiritual war. Yeah. Uh, it's all over Scripture, um, from Genesis to Revelation. There's a great battle going on in the heavens, um, and that battle, again, as we said, often manifests itself in human history. Like we see the great upheavals of human history. And we also know that there are is a spiritual dimension to what goes on um, in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. There was all these political things happening. But then Daniel would have these visions of 
angels like combating each other. Um, you know, the angel of one nation is fighting the angel of another nation and things like that. And of uh, the fallen angel of another nation or something like that. And, and, um, and we see that all the way through scripture, all the way to the book of revelation, where yeah. we taught, we see a great battle between the lady clothed with the sun yeah. um, and the serpent who wants to destroy her and her son. Um, and he's making, making war against her. And this is a, the age old conflict that again, goes all the way back to Genesis and the, and the fall of humanity um and so really what well, that's what we want to talk about today how can yeah. we join in this battle and what is one of the best ways we can do that which all the saints tell us is marian devotion now i know uh again as john was saying a lot of people are hesitant when they hear that well shouldn't we be just devoted to to jesus or to the eucharist or something like that like why why, why do we need mary um, that kind of takes us back to Genesis, really, uh, with the, the Proto-Evangelium, um, yeah. or the first promise of salvation. And we see there that in Genesis, when God is kind of conversing with Adam and Eve after the fall, and he kind of proclaims the curse, um, the, the, the fruit of sin is death, and he's, he's kind of laying this out to Adam and Eve, that, look, your actions have brought this curse upon all of creation and upon yourselves. The death has entered the world. Um, he also talks about uh, the seed of the, the woman and the woman and the serpent and how they're going to be locked in conflict and how the serpent is going to try to strike at the woman and the woman's going to, he's going to wound her heel, but he, she's going to crush his head. Um, and there is a little bit of grammatical debate in uh, mm. whether or not the, 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 the pronoun there is masculine or feminine. Um, I think that it could go either way. It doesn't matter. I still think Mary is deeply involved in salvation history. And we can get into a little more of that. But the, the promise of this battle that we see in the book of Revelation between the woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and the great serpent or the dragon that's trying to uh, to destroy her goes all the way back to the book of genesis when this first promise of a savior is given and um uh there's the promise of the woman who will crush the serpent's head yeah so this is the great cosmic battle that's been going on for all of human history but we can be engaged in that battle um Let's talk a little bit too about St. Maximilian Colby, who kind of tells us how we can do that. Like, yeah, actually, so yeah. Colby and, yeah, so yeah, happy to talk. And actually, one of the things that St. Maximilian Colby said is, um, uh, do not fear loving Mary too much, you will never love her as much as her son. Um, and so the, um, I think it's, it's real important. I wanted to kind of go back to that and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Maximilian Kolbe is that, um, is that when we look at our lady in the new Testament, it is also important. And we're talking about typology in the old Testament, but it's also important to remember a couple of things that St. Louis de Montfort, I know talked about like one that, um, in his true devotion to Mary, the treatise, where he talks about how, God chose to live in our lady's womb for nine months. And you hear 
Protestants talk about it as being an incubator, but it that's really, you know, degrading, but it's also not, um, uh, let's call it filling of what uh, God would have done and chosen our lady uh, to live in her womb and to uh, take, um, you know, blood through the umbilical cord through our lady. Right. And um, and then we hear in scripture that at the age of 12, Christ went, um, you know, was in the temple. He was lost and they came up to her and, you know, why have you done this to us? And we finished with Christ going back to Nazareth and was subject to them. Right. And so for the next 12, 18 years from 12 to 30, we know one thing, and that was Christ was um, devoted and was walking with our lady. And that example is what we set forth um, before ourselves uh, to to love and to grow in that uh, example of Christ uh, to be committed to our lady. And um, so Maximilian Colby is a modern saint. Right. And I think that's really uh, that should be encouraging to those of us. He was um, he was around during the World War uh, Two. He was where he died in uh, the concentration camp in the battle. But he was a huge Marian devotee. He was consecrated to her, taking it to the next level. Right. So St. Maximilian Kolbe um, uh, took it to the next level where you had. Louis de Montfort was talking about that we must all become willful slaves to Our Lady, which, by the way, I was talking to one of my nephews the other day and and mentioned, you know, I was going to buy him that book and I was going to encourage him to read it. And he's in high school. And when I said, but, you know, he uses words such as being a willful slave to Our Lady. And um, my nephew was just like, that sounds amazing. And I was like, you know, it is amazing. And then (laughs) But Maximum Colby took it a step further, right? He talked about us being instruments of um, of of grace uh, to um, where basically Our Lady, we are just uh, blunt instruments that Our Lady can use us however she sees fit. You know, just just that next step where we don't devote ourselves or consecrate ourselves to Our Lady, looking for that return, right? It's not a transaction in which we say, "I'm going to consecrate myself to Our Lady, and I know all of these blessings are going to be upon me, and I'm going to." experience a lot of blessings in this life, you know, and that's still a little self-centered. We consecrate ourselves to our lady as Maximum Colby did as just we're blunt instruments. There's no better way to live. And, um, and I, um, I always admired that and love that. So, um, yes, yeah, Sam, talk a little bit about his, uh, life and his starting of the Immaculata and, and, um, and how that was all a movement against, uh, the forces of Masonry and things like that, 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 uh, St. Maximum Colby gives us a great example of what us, and our lives as men are called to do to to enter into this battle um, of this spiritual battle uh, that manifests itself in different temporal ways here in in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. So to place Maximilian Kolbe um, a little bit in historical context, he grew up in the early 1900s as a young boy. Um, Poland was a brand new nation following World War the times around world war one, a lot of national lines were redrawn and everything. And the Polish people as an ethnic group were, had existed for a long time, but they had kind of been the plaything of all these different political forces and never really had their own nation. So Poland was a brand new nation and was, was like a very proud Catholic people. Um, and, um, so, but he grew up very poor in, in Poland and his, but his parents were extremely devout, but, 
World War II was, you know, he became a Franciscan friar as a young man, immediately discovered like Marian devotion and just really like grew in that, especially due to a childhood experience he had mm-hmm. where he um, uh, had a, a vision of our, of our lady and, but kind of quickly developed this really advanced theology of, of Mariology and the in relationship to the Holy spirit and things like that. Um but as he was, he was a seminarian in Rome is when things really changed for him. He went to Rome to be a seminarian as a young Franciscan, uh, which was pretty common at the time. And he really talks about something shocking that he witnessed there that led to the founding of the Militia Immaculata, which was his move, Marian movement to kind of do battle against Satan. Um, again, joining this kind of grand cosmic battle that's been going on for millennia. Like he's like, I want to be a part of this. I want to do my part to crush the head of Satan because Mary uh, is works through us. She works yeah. through us just as Christ works through us. Like the, the body of Christ on earth is the church. Um, and so we, we have to be willing participants in this cosmic battle, but this was how Maximilian Colby came to found the militia Immaculata. He's like, I want to join, create this Marian movement to crush the head of Satan in our times. So here's what he says. This is an article he wrote in his his newspaper. He said, why the MI? Why the Militia Immaculata? The year was 1917, a significant year for other Mm -hmm. reasons, uh, Mm -hmm. Fatima and things like that. But he said Freemasonry was very active in Italy. And I just want to say real quick, Freemasonry has this mystique about it, like the Illuminati or whatever. But it was very real in Europe, like, you know. Uh, in America, it's it, it was part of our founding, but it, Freemasonry is very real. While there's sometimes hard to sort the, the truth from the lies, it is a very powerful movement and it was very active against the church in 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 the late 1800s through um, through the 20th century. Freemasonry was very active in Italy during the celebrations for the birthday of Giordano Bruno, who's a significant figure in Masonry. They even had the gall to flaunt a banner depicting St. Michael the Archangel crushed under the feet of a triumphant Lucifer. Masonic banners were hoisted up under Vatican windows. Pamphlets were handed out everywhere claiming it was the duty of the Italian police to break into the Vatican. An evil hand had written, the devil will rule in the Vatican and the Pope will be his servant. And he goes on to describe how this was so shocking to him as a young man. He was very young at this time. Um, But he talks about at the International College in Rome, um, some seminarians met and they said, we're going to do something about this. The enemy is out to destroy the church. We're going to fight back. We're going to do something. We're going to join Mary's battle against Satan. At the International College in Rome, inside a poor little cell, locked but with the superior's permission, Seven young clerics wearing the habit and girded with the Franciscan cord, armed with spiritual sabers, that is, Franciscan rosaries, examined the points of the first statutes of the militia of the Immaculata. Above them, between two lighted candles, a little statue of the Immaculata had been placed. By summoning these young and inexperienced friars, the Immaculate already knew that others would be scattered around the world. She knew that others in an ever increasing numbers would join them and that today their number would be almost 1 million. Mm. So in 17 years, there was almost a million members of the Mish Immaculata. But he said that this is how we're going to fight back against 
the work of the devil in our time. Yeah. We're give ourselves totally and completely to Mary to use us as she sees fit in her battle against Satan. Yeah, save souls. Mm-hmm. It's it's really um, it's exciting because here we are a um, hundred years later, and we can see so many parallels. Right. With mm-hmm. here in America, at least with statues being destroyed, um, actually within the church with um, um, yeah, corrupt um, uh, church leaders. And and, you know, we as laymen, um, again, often just turn ourselves away from that when actually we're called to battle. We're called to um, call to arms and, and to fight these things. And. Um, and so opening up uh, the, um, you know, the Maculata and, and you know, it, it had such, I mean, a million people within a few years is incredible. And we can do the same thing today. I mean, I wasn't planning on jumping this this fast, but we should actually absolutely be consecrating ourselves to her and to be offering our um offering our life and offering and encouraging others to do it as well. I mean, um, anyways, I just, I was hearing the parallels to what we're facing today. And I think that's good because oftentimes a lot of people live in a certain sense of nostalgia, you know, like what if I lived back then it wouldn't be so hard. We don't have mass media. We don't have, uh, you know, very often, uh, what one saint was doing, you know, a few cities over wouldn't ever been known by um, people in another city. And wouldn't those have been easier times if it wasn't that. Um, and again, we we're um, deadened to uh, the reality with a certain sense of nostalgia that I, I think hearing stuff like that really calls us away from because um, that wasn't uh, anything that I think any of us would would have loved to have been a part of or to have directly experienced. But in our own way, we're seeing that today. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, the assaults on the church are increasing from inside and outside. Yeah, um, the church is is suffering, um, and the battle with with the serpent is intensifying. The last yeah. hundred years, we've seen an intensification of the battle. Um, and the more kind of soldiers have kind of joined uh, Mary's army, well, there's there's just as many or vastly more that have joined Satan's uh, uh, work, if you will, in our times. And um, so the battle is not over by any means, and we need to uh, join in that through Mary and consecration. Now, I will say one thing more about why Mary yeah. and consecration. Um, of course, like like John was saying earlier, we want to we want to live in imitation of our Lord Jesus Christ, and throughout His life, all the way up into the cross and resurrection, He was completely devoted to His mother, and of course, we know that continued in heaven. But we also see recorded in the Gospels that Christ was was intimately involved with with obedience to His mother, but also caring for her physically and providing for her in every way and, and really serving her. And we can do that as well. But also there's another dimension to this and it is Catholic, a Catholic theological principle. I don't have time to get into all everything that goes um, into this, but Mary is considered according to Catholic theology as the mediatrix of all graces. Yeah. That mm-hmm. means that on the cross, Christ obtained this ocean of graces um, to 
give to humanity to the work of redeeming humanity. Um, but Mary is the one who distributes those graces. And again, there's a lot of theology behind this that I could go into, and maybe we will on another episode. Um, but the important thing to know is that Mary is the one that Christ has chosen to distribute all of those, that ocean of graces that he obtained on the cross. Yeah. And to uh, distribute those to his, to his creatures, to his church. Um, and so she's very actively involved. So nothing good from God descends to us except through Mary. And another thing that Maxman and Colby says is nothing returns to us, to God, from us to God, except through Mary. So Mary is kind of at this midpoint between God and creation, where all graces descending from God pass through Mary and all of the, the works and labors of and sacrifices and love and worship of human beings rising back up to God pass through Mary as well. Yeah. Um, A saint, I can't remember which saint uh, said it, but they described Our Lady as the neck, right? If Christ is the head to the body, Our Lady is the neck, that everything from the head goes through the neck. I can't remember which saint said that, but what you were saying just... Yeah just triggered. And, and as a point, you're hearing a former Protestant, Sam Guzman, talk about these things. And, uh, and that's incredible because my own personal life, I um, had Marian, there was Mary statues around our house, but I didn't have a deep devotion. Even I got into uh, Catholic apologetics and in college and didn't have a deep devotion. But then it was uh, when I met my wife, the very second, um, uh, opportunity I had to um, to speak to her, she brought up St. Louis de Montfort's True Devotion to Mary. And I remember me as a Catholic reading that treatise and struggling with it, and then finding comfort in the fact that John Paul II struggled in it, you know, with it and had to read it multiple times and stuff like that. Um, and so I encourage our listeners to struggle with this, like to join that struggle because yep. the fruit of it is, is monumental and is, is yep. e- eternal. So anyways, thanks for letting me interrupt, uh, Sam, but, um, no, 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 this, is, this, yeah. is, this is why we're talking and yeah. And yeah. So it's like, you just think of this, this, um, center point of where all the graces of God are coming down to us. Would you, let's say you want grace, right? You gotta be, have grace to be holy. Like everybody admits that. Like you gotta have grace to be holy. Like grace is what transforms us, transforms us um, in, in into um, like saints, really. So, yeah. so you want graces. Um, you gotta place yourself in the center of that 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 uh, descent, right? Like of yeah. grace from God. Uh, that's what Mary, Marian consecration does for us. It places us right in the center point of all of those graces descending from God. Uh, this is a terrible analogy, but you think of like an hourglass, like all the yeah. sand is like pouring down. Yeah. Place yourself right in the narrowest point. That's where the sand is going to be most intense, right? Yeah. So like, it's like that kind of like that where we're placing by consecration, we're placing ourselves in the middle of that action, that action return. So not only do we receive graces from God more, um, quickly and effectively i hate to use such utilitarian terms but you know what right. i mean like we I do. we receive more graces more powerfully and effectively but also all of our good works all of our sacrifices are then purified as by the virgin mary as they rescend back to god she purifies mm-hmm. them 
because she cannot give anything to God that's imperfect or impure. That's just contrary to her very nature. So she purifies all of our good works and then gives them to God, pure and immaculate. And so it takes all of our works, cleanses them, and makes them even more effective for the, the spreading of the kingdom of God. Um, so again, we're placing ourselves in this center point of the Holy Spirit's action and the Virgin Mary's action and as the creation responds to God and it's a beautiful harmony. One last thing I'll say, and then I'll be quiet because mm. I'm talking a lot. No, it's just scary. But you notice in the Hail Mary, there's always this like call and response kind of action that happens like yeah. Hail Mary. And then you say the first part of the Hail Mary. And then there's Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. And you see this in a lot of Catholic prayers where there's like this versicle and response, like there's this call and response action that goes on throughout the liturgy and, and in a lot of our prayers. And what is the reason for that? It's like a picture of the action of God and the reaction of creation. Um, God gives to us and we give back our praise and our thanksgiving. And Mary is the ultimate endpoint of creation returning to God. She's the most perfect um, praise and humility and response and openness before the will of God. And uh, she takes all of creation with her as she returns to God. Um, yeah. So placing in, again, placing ourselves through consecration to her in the center of that return of creation on God and the work of God in time uh, changes everything. Yeah. And we're talking about kind of um, supernatural or spiritual here and in ways that we need to, uh, to understand because we live in that as well. And, um, and it manifests itself in these temporal ways. And we'll go into those later, but I did grab a quote uh, that while you were talking that St. Maximilian um, Colby uh, mentioned to kind of define what we're talking about here. And he said, um, our lady loves her divine son with our poor hearts. We become a means through which the immaculate loves Jesus and Jesus seeing us as her possessions and as it were a part and parcel of our Holy mother loves her in us and through us. And so we get to enter in to that mystical union with our lady that is so who was perfect, who was, uh, you know, uh, removed from the stain of original sin or kept from the stain of original sin and lives in, in perfect union and harmony with Christ now. And we get to mystically, we get to enter into that and Christ seeing us after consecration as something that our lady possesses part and parcel of our Holy mother loves her and us and through us. And that is something that you can take to prayer and meditation uh, many times yeah. in, in, in your days and in your life. Um, and so one of the things that I like to talk about, because we're talking about battle, is uh, the the um, the name given to Our Lady of Terror of Demons. Right. So going back to what um, Sam was mentioning in Genesis account, uh, that Our Lady is the demon crusher. Right. Right. Um, and, and this is not just um, 
uh, fanciful words or things that um, that we can mention and, and assume. It is something that has been proven time and time again through the saints and through exorcists as well, right? So um, Our Lady Terror of Demon, uh, you know, I know that um, St. Alphonsus uh, actually called her not only the Queen of Heaven, but also the Queen of Hell because she has control, coercive uh, control, complete control over all the demons. Now, I don't know how much Our Lady uh, liked that title, and I don't go around saying that. Um, but I will also say, yeah, yeah, exactly. I will also say that St. Alphonsus uh, said that he was willing to shed his own blood in protecting Our Lady's holy name. And so this uh, uh, holy doctor of the church wrote Glories of Mary. That could be a, a resolution for somebody in 2022 is to read uh, St. Alphonsus's uh, The Glories to Mary. But um I also think that it's it's important uh, uh, that uh, the exorcists uh, bring up all the time that invoking Our Lady of Sorrows within your own life um, is it can be so helpful because as she promised under that title, Our Lady of Sorrows, uh, to Saint Bridget that I will defend them. That's you and I in her in their spiritual battles with the infernal enemy, and I will protect them at every instant in their lives. And so this is something that St. Maximum Colby understood. He understood very profoundly. He understood in a way that um, that we're growing in that understanding is that our lady is our leader. And um, and this does not diminish the love and devotion to Christ. It only increases it by things that we were just talking about. And that that protective grace, that protective power infuriates um, uh, the demons. Because I know in one of your articles, Sam, you talked about, you know, for every ounce of pride that demons have, our lady has infinite more humility and that sort of battle and struggle that, uh, that she gives us, that she guides us with, and that we can turn to, uh, protects us and actually makes us victorious within these, um, these spiritual, um, uh, strifes and difficulties and, um, and temptations that we are constantly, uh, falling into. So. Yes, uh, absolutely. I, I, think too that the the blessed mother is terrifying to demons and you could say well why because how did satan cause humanity to fall he tempted the woman mm-hmm. and oh. there is something about uh the devil that i think that hates femininity he sees it as as weakness, as something to be despised, as something inferior. Uh, And he wanted to take out Eve. Um, And he knew Adam would follow. Um, Women can be very persuasive. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she she very quickly persuaded Adam. Um, But uh, there's something, I could just kind of like feel this, you're reading the Genesis account, you can almost feel like this glee in Satan and like deceiving the woman into dragging down all of creation with, you know, Oh, she's so easy to persuade. Like, I love this. Like she's so weak. She's so, she can't stand up to my wiles. And then Mary comes along and she's completely impervious to the devil. Mm. Like the devil can't get to her. And in fact, that very femininity that, that Satan so despised, is exactly what the Blessed Mother uses to seal his doom. She carries the the Redeemer of the world, the new Adam. She is the new Eve. 
And instead of doubting God, she says yes to God with full faith and full confidence, even though a lot of the saints and mystics tell us she could see what was coming. Yeah. She could see the suffering of her son, the suffering of her own heart. She knew what it would cost to redeem humanity and all of creation. And she still said, be done unto me according to your word. And Satan, he can't stand it. It drives him absolutely nuts that a woman who he despises is the one who is going to crush him. And I say in my article something like I feel like Satan would even be content if God himself crushed him. Yeah. Because at least God is omnipotent. And that's like, you know, I could put up with someone omnipotent yeah. defeating me. But Mary, like, really? Like, like this, 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 this little girl from Nazareth, like, I can't handle that. Like it just it wounds my my demonic pride to be crushed by a female and like, yeah, you know, and, and, um, in God's plan, he's going to use the new Eve to crush Satan. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of a beautiful irony, uh, yeah. in God's, God's providence that, that it is the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. Yeah. Um, amen. Seal his fate. And we're going to have a guest on later this year that's going to talk a little bit more about uh, some of those things, because I, you're exactly right. Like in exorcisms, right, we hear and, and we're not I'm not trying to be over interested in this, but um, we hear that it's more crushing and more um, uh, words escaping me, but, um, you know, um, overwhelming for, for demons to for an exorcist priest to call upon our lady because of that exact same thing, because, um, God, we can see as the creator of even them. Right. And, and he, he permits these things and he allows these things. Um, but our lady who was created by him to have so much authority over them, you know, is crushing and, um, and really a beautiful thing. And, so I wanted to actually talk before we talk about ways that we can um, uh, consecrate ourselves and there's different degrees of consecrations and different uh, fruit and ways that they can um, show themselves and that we can practice them in our daily lives. But before we talk about that, I wanted to read something that Pius XII um, uh, mentioned about people who are consecrated to Our Lady. And so um, not too long ago, um, Pius XII talked about that, you know, to be in uniformity with God's will, we have to have a consecration to Our Lady. He said there's actually a fundamental element of our lives missing if we don't have that consecration. And then, quote, he says, anyone who has been consecrated to Mary belongs to her in a special way. The love of Mary gives him the courage to undertake great things, to conquer human respect, to shake off egoism, to serve and to obey um, patiently. With his interior gaze fixed steadily on her, he falls in love with the purity, the humility, the charity with which the soul of the Virgin was resplendent, right? Was so um, glorious. And and I just, I love reading that. I've been able, fortunate to read that multiple times. And I do, I just think it does such a great job explaining, you know, the need for this in our own lives. The peace that comes in the battle and in the struggle by this consecration, right? She's going to protect us from our own pride and our own egoism, right? So even in preparation for this episode, I had to, I had to remind myself 
It's not my bullet points. It's not Sam's bullet points, right? It's our ladies. It's the spirit that's going to guide us in this conversation because that's egoism entering into it. I want it to be this way. And I want to make sure all of these things are covered and that we have to go in this manner. And we have to die to ourselves on a daily basis, not just in preparation for an episode like this, but a daily basis in our work and everything. If we are truly consecrated to her and we are truly instruments of her operations and her hands, her feet in this world, right? For the glory of Christ, our King. So, um, you know, I think that's uh, just exciting and something that I wanted to uh, share. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will, I guess we can transition. Um, there's a lot more we could talk about, about kind of the big picture um, as well as the theology, but um we could just have an old episode just on, on the theology of, of Marian devotion, but I want to get practical here. And yeah. someone who's listening to this says, yeah, sign me up. I wanted to join the Immaculate's battle against Satan. Like I, I, I want to be one of her foot soldiers, if you will. Um, so, what can I do? What can I do? Um, and one of the first most obvious things that we've been talking about is Marian consecration. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? It means giving Mary full freedom to do with you and your life and all that you own and possess, whatever she sees fit. Like you're surrendering your will to her will. And which in turn unites you with the will of God because her will is never in conflict with the will of God for even. No, but that's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. So that's what kind of that's kind of the heart of consecration is saying, Mary, take me, use me in any way you see fit in your battle against Satan. Sign me up. Um, I am your instrument. Um, and there's there's two primary ways. There's different ways of consecration. There's two primary ways. One is St. Louis de Montfort's traditional consecration, which goes all the way back to the 1700s. Um, there's even earlier ones, but he's the one who really formulated and pop popularized it. Um, and that's 33 days and it's, there's scripture readings involved. There's asceticism involved. There's, it's, it's pretty intense and it will kind of rock your world. It's, it's, it's yeah. definitely something that, um, you know, Exodus 90 is really popular right now. It's kind of like a 33 day version of that in some sense, yeah. like there's prayer scripture, you know, like you're really preparing for the day of consecration. And then you pick a Marian feast day and you consecrate yourself. It's all kinds of guides online, books available that kind of guide you through it. There's even apps that will guide you through St. Louis de Montfort's consecration. St. Maximilian Colby was very pragmatic. Uh, he was just kind of like, just consecrate yourself. Like, yeah. obviously you want to be doing it in the right frame of mind and really mean it. But as far as I know, he didn't have any preparation. He just said, pick a feast day and consecrate yourself. Like, yeah. um, and there's since been like novenas developed and things like that, that kind of correspond with Maximilian Colby's consecration. But he was like, let's just get to the chase. Like, let's yeah. just consecrate as many people as we can to our blessed mother, to the immaculate. Like, let's just, let's just get as many people consecrated as we can. So he, he has a long consecration and then he has like a daily renewal of that. But really he's like, let's not delay this for four weeks or um, 
33 days or whatever. Let's just get it done. Like, let's just yeah. surrender yourself to the Immaculate right here, right now. It's probably how he got a million people and, and uh, just just about a year to join uh, the, his movement. But uh, he was very he was very much about keeping it simple. Just love our lady, serve her, give yourself to her, let her take control of your life. Um, seek to serve her in all your daily sacrifices. Uh, and you're part of her battle against Satan. So kind of long consecration, the simple consecration. But the point is, is Maximilian Kobe would always say like any formula that can ever be developed. Right. This is the heart of it. You're giving your will to the immaculate to use however she sees fit. Yeah. And we'll put that in the show notes. I'll put a link off to his prayer uh, consecration, which is also a beautiful one. And so regardless of which one you discern, right, the St. Louis de Montfort or a short Maximilian Colby, yeah, because uh, there's um, maybe a feast day coming up when you're listening to this that you want to jump on. Um, uh, we'll have that in the show notes and, and definitely commit to it. But us as men, it's easy to be consecrated, but then to forget, right? And so if your consecration is not keeping you from sin or helping you, uh, you know, struggle with uh, um, with temptations and stuff like that, and it's not um, inspiring you to live a better life, right? Uh, then maybe uh, we're missing something and we need some daily practices or daily uh, devotions. So I thought I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about some of our own personal ones uh, that uh, we can encourage you to, um, to to remind yourself. And I think actually I'm going to start with two of the easiest ones. And the first one is the brown scapular. So if you're not wearing the brown scapular, get a brown scapular. If you're wearing a brown scapular, carry a couple around with you to give to other people <laughs> to wear the brown scapular. And, um, and so it's a real short, like 30 second, one minute enrollment. Any priest can do it. Um, and then he can roll you in that brown scapular. Um, I would say that even if, um, um, if, uh, if you don't have a priest around, you can go ahead and start wearing that brown scapular until you, you can get enrolled and, um, and show that external sign of your transformation or your interior devotion. And so I like to bring up the brown scapular. There's tons of miracles based on it. St. Alphonsus, who I've already brought up in this call, his brown scapular, um, over the last 400 years is incorruptible. Right. And so, uh, it's, it's actually been, you know, such a fruitful and amazing devotion, uh, to our lady. Um, and it can remind you of that devotion um that you of that consecration that you have to her another one I, I just, yeah please yeah one go quick, one quick note on this yeah. brown scapular i know a lot of people say well it's under your clothes or whatever like who's gonna see yeah. that but i've actually had to start conversations where like i had a barber one time cutting like he was like working on my neck and he saw a scapular sticking up and he's like oh are you catholic and then like and he's like he was a fallen away catholic and then ended up starting this like really interesting discussion so don't underestimate, even though most people wear the brown scapular under their clothes, it can still be a great uh, evangelization tool. So. Amen. And how funny, I actually had a similar situation. Uh, I wasn't at a barber, um, mea copa. I was just at, <laughs> you know, at a cheap haircut place. And um, 
the lady there was a fallen away Catholic and it, it, it spun up a, a very interesting conversation as well. So yeah, it's, it's a really good, a really good point. I think also uh, for fathers out there encouraging your kids and well, you know, even if they're young enough requiring your kids to, to wear the Brown scapular um, uh, is a beautiful thing. And my uh, nine-year-old uh, daughter, she, it's always hanging out, right? Cause she's a kid and stuff like that. And, and we get a lot of very positive comments or questions or things like that, that are, um, that are, are thought provoking. And it's, um, you know, it's really beautiful. So I would say that another practice is the three Hail Marys. And this goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. And so those three Hail Marys to protect us from mortal sin, to live our life of chastity, um, our, our vow of, of chastity and to, um, to, um, get us to heaven. And that is just three Hail Marys a day. And so I strongly encourage you and to encourage other people as well is to pray three Hail Marys a day. If you can imagine encouraging your friends to just start praying three Hail Marys a day to keep them from sin, what that would do for, you know, the torrents of graces that they would receive and, um, and that encouragement. And it's something that's so small is just less than a minute, three Hail Marys, you know, a day for that. So this devotion goes back many years. So those are the first two that I just kind of wanted to mention as, um, as ways that you can participate in that grace and in that uh, conversation with our lady, because if we're being honest, we, we do live in times of mass media. We do live in times of distraction and noise. And so we have to set this time away to become devoted in our prayer and to be that example for others. So those are just a couple of things that come to me, Sam, what comes to your mind? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I would say a morning offering of some sort is can also be really helpful to Again, Tim Maximilian Colby has a daily renewal of your consecration that you can practice every morning when you wake up. Uh, it's real short. Immaculate Queen and Mother of the Church, I renew my consecration to you this day and for always, so you might use me for the coming of the kingdom of Jesus and the whole world. To this end, I offer you all my prayers, actions, and sacrifices of this day. So again, you're just like stating the purpose. I want to help you bring the kingdom of Jesus here on earth. And to do that, I'm giving you everything that I do today. Um, and it's not like you have to think about Mary every single second, um, all day long for your yeah. consecration to be valid. You can really just go about your life in some ways with that willing spirit to be used. And Mary will order the circumstances and happenings of your life to make that consecration fruitful. And I've seen that in my own life where Amen. there's been times when I'm not like actively like praying the rosary from morning till night or, you know, yeah. not saying like specific prayers to Mary or anything like that. And yet can very clearly see that I'm being used uh, by her in one mm. way or another, or the things that are happening to me are kind of ordered. Um, to achieve a certain purpose that she has in mind. And, um, but again, it starts with that willingness, that surrender of the will. And then everything that you do can be fruitful in one way or another. Um, so that's one, one simple thing is just say that morning renewal of your consecration. You'll memorize it very easily and just say it every day. Yeah, I love it. The next thing I would say is the church has this incredible treasury of devotional materials 
to the Immaculate, like to our Blessed Mother, like just stuff coming out your ears of like just incredible <laughs> yeah. prayers and emotions. Oh, sure. Little Office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. There's another one put out by Tan Books, which is really like blown my mind, which is uh, the Crown of the Virgin. Yeah, um, absolutely incredible uh, meditation on Mary's virtues and things like that. There's also this, which is uh, the Psalter of the Blessed Virgin Mary, written by Saint Bonaventure. Like hardly anybody yeah. knows about this, uh, but it's like um, Saint Bonaventure wrote 150 Psalms of praise to the blessed virgin um and and it's it's really incredible so there's just lots and lots of devotions i mean there's there's different ways of praying the rosary there's just so many um different devotions that really whatever makes your heart um love our lady more is what you should do yeah. <laughs> and uh, again i can hear a lot of people thinking like isn't this like in conflict with our devotion to christ like shouldn't we just yeah. be focused on christ alone but I can tell you based on experience and you'll just have to prove this for yourself. Yeah. But the more you love Mary, the more you love Jesus. Like That's right. it's impossible for your, your love of Mary to conflict with your love of Christ. And the more you love her, the more you will love Christ. Like, it's just, it's just what happens. Like the two go hand in hand. Um, and um, again, you may be skeptical, but just, try and see, like, just learn to love our blessed mother and you will find yourself loving Christ more, being more devoted to the Eucharist and, and the other sacraments. And just finding your spiritual life is really driven by the beauty and love of, of, of our lady. Like, um, and, uh, yeah, I couldn't say it better myself. Uh, I will say from personal experience, I've had that exact same, um, experience. The, the yearning for adoration um, since I consecrated myself to Our Lady 12 years ago, and I'll do the 33-day consecration, you know, each year. I also pray the St. Maximilian uh, Colby prayer. It um, it has just helped me grow. I love Christ far more now than I ever, th but I didn't know what I didn't know, right? It wasn't like I thought 13 years ago that I was lacking in my love for Christ. That wasn't the case. But as I entered into this devotion with her, I just realized how far away I was and how um, and how much this has grown. So I, I add my encouragement to yours, Sam, for any of our listeners that you'll have to experience this for yourself. And, and it's the same thing. Like, I, I you know, I'm holding a rosary and, and I pray the rosary every day. Um, but sometimes that can be difficult, right? That's Sometimes the idea of praying the rosary every single day can be monotonous and can be and can be boring. But I will say that we have to um, make time for these things. We can't necessarily find time for a devotion like this or a consecration like this. We have to make time for it. And, you know, we're not promised daily um exaltations and daily uh joys and um and mystical experiences but we know that this devotion is the true and right way in life and that's why we encourage everybody to do that and to and to stick with it and i know i kind of briefly mentioned the rosary but i'm um very strongly encouraged the 15 promises of the rosary and praying the rosary daily but honestly if 
the thought of getting into praying the rosary daily is overwhelming, which I remember those days in my life, not too long ago that, um, you know, start with the decade, start with three Hail Marys, start with uh, Maximilian Colby's prayer, you know, start somewhere, make time for something, do something to, to engage in this battle and victory is, um, is certain. Right. And, um, I was thinking about victims and victory and that, that common uh, connection. So we are, we are, uh, connected to our lady and Sam and I are both blessed, uh, to be here. So anything else you wanted to share, Sam? Yeah. I will just say too, that, um, again, this is the best experience is the best teacher. Yeah. Um, and all the saints say this, like you're skeptical. I get it. Like there's, there's, you know, always been skeptics of Marian devotion, but, uh, especially since the Protestant Reformation, but experience is the best teacher and, and consecrating, um, myself to, uh, the blessed mother has been the best Thing I've ever done for my spiritual life Amen. and I can say that without question and it's I've loved Jesus more I've loved the Eucharist more um, my spiritual life has been guided and led by a wisdom that I couldn't have generated on my own there you go uh, I've been led to the right books when I needed them I've been um, encountered the right people when I need them. Like you just feel like your spiritual life is being led in a very specific direction by someone who loves you. You're being cared for. Um, and so I, I would just encourage everyone to try it out, try it out, even if you're skeptical. Um, and I remember my first time praying the rosary as a, it was before I was even Catholic convert, but just praying the rosary as a Protestant, just being really scared and like, Maybe yeah. I'm doing something bad here. Yeah. And then now years later, um, just like, can't, I can't imagine my spiritual life without the blessed mother. Like I just can't. So um, I would encourage everyone to consecrate yourself to our lady and join her battle against Satan. Offer your prayers and sacrifices. Um, we we want to be on the winning side, believe me. And her side is the winning side. Amen. So um, join, join our blessed mother uh in her battle against satan the battle's intensifying we need as many soldiers as we can get amen and we wouldn't be bringing this up if we didn't help uh believe and 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 have experienced ourselves that uh that this is the pathway to to holiness and is the pathway to to sanctity um in this life and in the next and is something that is uh a requirement for for all men and so you know, thank you, Sam. I'm grateful for, for your thoughts and your time and the reminders and inspiration that you've given me, um, you know, today. Uh, it's, it's just good to, to connect and talk about uh, our Blessed Mother. So, Amen. Amen. Uh, well, I as, wisdom, pray for us. Pray for us. Amen. And as we end every episode. Be a man, be a saint.